Today we're going to talk about the need for wisdom. Uh, would you agree that our world, our country, needs more wisdom? The people that uh, we live amongst need more wisdom, that we ourselves also need more wisdom. I, I think, I certainly think I do. I believe that I do. Anna will be sure to tell you that I do. So um, I just wanted to get that out before Anna said anything. So we're in chapter 3 today, and, and we need wisdom for all kinds of reasons, for all kinds of uses. And so James really focuses in on, on us personally, all right? That's why he talks about our speech so much in chapter 3. Let's read chapter 3, then we're going to go back and talk about some points in it that uh, I think are important for all of us. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poisons. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest, of righteousness. And today I believe our world needs more peacemakers. Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for James who wrote down exactly what you wanted him to write down the way you wanted him to write it. Father, help us to comprehend your word. Help us to take your word, not only understand it, but gain wisdom from you through it. Help us, Father, to take your wisdom, apply it to our lives so we can live it out in such a way as to please you. Father, you are our God and Father. You are our our are the love of our life. You are our Savior. You are our Creator. You are everything to us. So help us, Father, to be your people. Help us to grow closer to you each and every day. Help our lives to reflect more and more of who you are in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. James had a way of really boiling everything down, right? He could really boil things down and he could really, he really hit hard. He, he was a little bit like Mike Tyson with words. He could really hit hard. Jesus was the same way. Jesus could take a word and really uh, use it to comfort you, or he could really use it to, to teach and rebuke a person as well. James is talking a lot about wisdom. Through the whole book, whole letter, 
He talks a lot about wisdom. But right here in chapter 3, he really focuses on the Christian and wisdom because he compares the two because he says that there's some who aren't wise and some that are. And there are some who ought to be wiser. Wisdom, write this down, wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Knowledge is learned. Wisdom is a gift. Knowledge is learned. You can go to school, get knowledge. I went through, I finally made it all the way through high school. Can you believe that? I did. I made it. I dropped out in the middle of my senior year, but I went back the next year and graduated. Barely. I, was, I did not leave high school a very wise young man. And I was barely educated any, through it anyway. Later on, as I got older and I became a father, when we had all of our children, I realized I wanted to do something more in my life than just be a production worker at a factory. And uh, maybe that was God's way of working on me to get me into the ministry. I don't know. But um, I went to college. I went to college, got an undergraduate degree, and gained lots of knowledge there. Then I went to seminary. We moved to Kansas City, went to seminary, Midwestern, and I gained more knowledge there. Knowledge is learned, but wisdom is, is a gift. I mean, wisdom is given to us. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same. Knowledge helps us make good decisions. But wisdom helps us make better life choices. See, here's the thing that we're not teaching young people. You've got to learn to make good life choices. I certainly did not, and I tried to teach my kids through my poor example. I tried to teach them, hey, here's what I did. Here's where I fell down. Here's the mistakes I made because I wasn't being wise. And I think my kids have learned from my mistakes somewhat. We all make mistakes. That's one thing I'm watching my kids do. Uh, I'm learning, okay, it, it was okay. Uh, they, they survived me. God carried them through my fatherhood. And now they're out there and they're doing great. They all got great careers. They're all doing well in life. They all have families. They're, all, they're productive. They're, they're taking care of themselves. They're doing well. So what I'm trying to say here, though, is that I was not a wise father at times. But God saw us through. God took care of that. But decisions are, 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 are about life, about life choices. Okay, decisions are often about issues that are general in nature. We all face these same issues in life. Do I, do I, how much money do I put away for retirement? That's a wise, that's a wise question you ask. And I think our young people need to learn to ask themselves that question. Because I did that later in life. And so now trying to catch up. And lots of people do that, make that mistake. You don't start saving until you're later on in life because you don't make the money when you're, when you're younger. So decisions are about, are, are, are issues, are about issues that are general in nature. And they're often issues almost everybody faces, so we all have to make these life decisions. Choices tend to be individual, personal. Your choices on how you're going to live your life. My kids had to make their choices how they want to live their life. So do all of your kids and grandkids, right? Yeah. And they probably live different than you did. They make different choices because choices are individual and they're personal. What do I want to do about this, whatever this is, right? Yeah. Guess what? You're seniors. I'm approaching the, my senior years myself. We still have to make choices, don't we? We still have lots of life choices to make. How are we going to live? What's our life going to end up being like when we're gone? What kind of a, a legacy are we going to leave behind? You know, what am I going to do with the things that I have? Wisdom is a gift God gives to his people. 
And that's one of the key things that we need to teach people when they first become Christians, that God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to help you make good life choices and those decisions that everybody faces. He wants to help you with that as well. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Did you know that you're given the Holy Spirit as a believer for the common good, not just for yourself? You know, you've got to think about these things a little bit. For the common good, that means for everybody. So we are believers, not just for ourselves, but we're to be believers and to benefit everybody around us, the common good. To one, there's giving through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. James said it this way in chapter 1, verse 5. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding faults. I'm so glad that God gives me wisdom because there's a lot to find fault in Gary O'Flanagan. There's a lot. I admit that. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. But God gives me wisdom and guidance and direction. Knowledge tends to focus us on temporal things, on worldly issues. That's what knowledge does. That's why we learn. You learn to stop putting your hand on the stove when it gets hot, right? That's knowledge. That's a very temporal thing. Whereas wisdom is focused on long term, the bigger picture. That's why Wisdom is more spiritual. Wisdom is more focused on eternity than the present. Spiritual wisdom makes us think about what what happens when I'm gone. What am I going? What's what, am I going to just disappear? Am I just going to vaporize when I die? Or is there something more when I leave this world? I believe there's something more when we leave this world. That's my beliefs. I'm I, I believe in that with all my heart. The Bible also says wisdom leads to knowledge. That wisdom can lead us into more knowledge. Proverbs 3.13 says, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. Understanding is the same as knowledge. People need wisdom for every area of their lives. You and I, we need wisdom for every area of our life, not just certain areas, but every area needs to be covered by God's wisdom. Unfortunately, today, many Americans base their decisions and choices on emotion. That's what we're seeing, what's going on today with fear. Lots of fear in our country today for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of, uh, of sources are producing this fear. But lots of people make, knowledge, make their decisions and choices based on fear. I'm afraid this is going to happen, so I'm going to do A or I'm going to do B. Not knowledge. They don't, shoot, they don't make decisions on knowledge. Certainly they don't make decisions by wisdom because we're seeing all kinds of things happening in our world today and in our country that are very unwise. Chapter 3, James talks about the need for people to have wisdom in how we talk to each other. Isn't that the truth? Have you watched some of the videos of what's going on in the big cities with some of these protesters, how they get up in police officers' faces and they spit in their face, curse, repeatedly curse at them, are obscene to them? Wow. James says there's a need for wisdom in how we talk to each other and the words that we use and the way that we use them. We have to be careful both ways. We need to be careful about the words we choose to use and the way we use them. All of these things require wisdom. And many people today seem to be lacking that. Go back and look at chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Look what, Paul, look what James says here in 5. It's just an amazing thing. that It fits our world. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
all through speech. James says that words can be used for good and words can be for used for evil. So we need wisdom for the words that we choose to use. Point number one on your outline. And for you folks at home watching, please have a piece of paper ready. Point number one. James said wisdom plus humility equals a good life. Wisdom plus humility equals a good life. Look at verse 13. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good deeds, by deeds, of de by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James asks this question as if he's in a classroom hoping that the students will all raise their hand. And then he says, well, okay, but you need to show that. I like the way he does that. A good professor will do that without embarrassing anybody, without, without shaming anybody. They'll say, hey, if you say you're wise, then you need to start showing it. Wisdom can be seen as a form of self-control. Wisdom is that little voice in our head that says, don't say anything. Have you ever been in that situation with somebody you love or somebody you know or somebody you just met, and they say something and you just want to report, just come back right away, and your little voice in your head says, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Sometimes we respond to people in unwise and unnecessary ways, and we don't need to. By not responding back the same way people act towards us, we show wisdom to the people who don't control themselves. By showing self-control, we are showing them a better way. We can show these people who don't care about what they do to others what self-control simply looks like. Now, that's not to say they're not at fault for what they say and do towards others. Uh, they are at fault. They just don't know how to act with humility, and that's the key. We have to learn to act with humility as God's people, and that's because they don't have wisdom, and we should. As God's people, we should have wisdom. We should be asking God for wisdom, guidance, direction, discernment, all of these things. We should ask God for this. And we know that these people are that way because of the way they act, the way they say things and the, and the words they use. They tell crude jokes. They laugh at things that are hurtful to other people or enjoy other people's misfortune. Have you ever met that guy that loved to laugh when other, somebody else had something bad happen to them? That's no fun. I don't want to be around that kind of person. Do you? I don't. James describes a prevailing way of thinking that's going on today. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to do this and make money. Making money is a big deal in our culture today. It always has been. That's because our culture is a capitalistic culture. It's about making money in our culture. But the more our culture drifts away from God, the more people tend to focus on themselves. Have you noticed that? If you haven't watched, just watch people. The more they drift away from God, the more they stay focused on themselves. And they become selfish, self-centered. Now, as Christians, I'll admit this, we all want a good life, right? We all want a good life. We all want good things in our life. We all want to have a good life. And how do we define that? Well, God, God does in His Word. But the good life for Christians is a life that honors God. That's how we define a good life, right? Our life should honor God. doesn't mean we walk around in rags and, and, and just eat oatmeal, but it means that we, our lives should honor God, the way we live, the things we say, the, how we treat others. We should live a life that honors God and also reflects who Jesus is in us, because that's what Jesus wants for us. That's why Jesus changes us from the inside out. You know, I'm changing on the outside because I'm getting older. 
But hopefully I'm changing on the inside because Jesus is my Lord and Savior and he's working on me. The me inside is going to live on forever. <clears throat> Anna just said amen to that. <laughs> That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to give us a really good life. That's why in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said this. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and life more full. Life to the abundant, your, your translation might say. Wisdom plus humility can equal a good life, but a truly good life can only come through a relationship with God and by faith in Jesus Christ. You can be a good ethical person. You can be a moral person. But that doesn't mean you necessarily have a relationship with God. That re that's reflected in other ways, in more personal ways. James also said part of a good life is not being selfish. Point number two, James said, watch out for selfishness. And even in the church, we've got to do this because we're humans. We're still people. We still have the old nature we're warring against. It's dying slowly, but we have to be careful about selfishness. Verse 14, he says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. James is comparing the world to what the church should be like. He's saying you sh we shouldn't be like this in any way at all. Not even a little bit. Not even, not even an inch thin. We should be totally devoid of these if we can work on this. We should work to, re to reduce this. We should stop and remember that James is talking to Christians. He didn't expect non-Christians to think or behave selflessly. He thought Christians should, though. That we shouldn't be selfish. We should be selfless. And that's because our lives reflect our relationship with God and our faith in Jesus. So the way we live, what we say, and the way we say things, it's all part of our testimony. It really is. It really is. And so does our attitude towards other people. The way we think about other people. Do we care about how we treat other people? This is a big issue today, isn't it? Because there's a great deal, a great deal of cultural angst right now. A great deal of civil infighting with words and sometimes physically. And a lot of times we see this demeaning attitude towards people. And it's not pleasant to watch. And we should not be part of it. I don't know what you think of Antifa or the Black Lives Matter. I don't know. It's between you and God. I don't care for either group's stated ideology or their stated goals. I don't care for them. I'm sure there's some good people in Black Lives Matter. They want black people to be treated better, and I do too. I think all of you do too, and all of you on, watching on Facebook, I think you want black people to be treated well. But there's also some very bad behavior going on in those groups, things that I don't want to be part of. And I have seen prominent pastors getting involved in protest with both Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Joining them on the fringe to be a presence there to say, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I, I support you. I want people to be treated better too. I can't do that because I don't believe in their stated goals. I don't want to burn down America. I want America to be better for everybody. Don't you? Amen? Yeah, I, I, I think you do. I think we as a church, as Cornerstone, we want everybody to, to do better in America, not just white people or, 
or anybody. We just want everybody to do better. That's our attitude towards others. James asks, are we bitter? Are we selfish? Do we take advantage of others? Do we boast about ourselves to other people? These questions are meant to help us examine ourselves to see how we are doing as followers of Jesus. What does Jesus mean when he says to deny the truth? <clears throat> he says in verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. What's he talking about there? What does he mean by that? He means if you say you're a Christian, but you still have bitterness and envy and selfish ambition in your heart and that guides your life, then you're not the Christian you should be. And you need to start working on that. Paul said it this way in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. He said, Do nothing out of self-ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. So whatever we do, the decision we make has an impact on people around us, right? It certainly does. A lot of them do anyway. So as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to consider other people too. We're supposed to want to help others succeed in life, grow in their faith in God, because this kind of attitude shows that we're growing in wisdom as well. Now as a church, Cornerstone, 11 years ago, we didn't buy that land out on O'Connell Road just for ourselves. We didn't buy that land to build a building just for us. We also bought that land and are going to build a building there someday, hopefully soon, for other people, people we don't even know yet. Why? Why do we do all that? Why have we suffered and struggled and sacrificed for that vision and that, that task God gave us 11 years ago? Because we want other people to know Jesus too. We want them to know Jesus personally. We want them to have a relationship with God so God can change their lives and give them a good life. The life Jesus will give to anybody who believes in Him. That's why we're doing that. We're not doing that so we can boast about the building we have, how beautiful it is, how much it costs, how we sacrificed. No, we're doing that so other people too can go to a church called Cornerstone maybe a hundred years from now, learn about Jesus, begin, begin to believe in Him, and have their lives changed. Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15, I think it fits what we've been going through for 11 years. Do everything without complaining or arguing. We have never argued. We have never complained about this financial burden on the church. Nobody in the church has ever complained about this. Isn't that amazing? Now, right, Jan? I have never heard one person complain or argue about what God called us to do because as a church, we took almost a whole year to determine, is this what God wants us to do? It was a big step, and we took it. He says there in Philippians 2.14, Do everything without complaint or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation which you shine like stars in the universe. Someday I'm going to be gone. Hopefully that's a long time in the future. Hopefully God gives me many years to serve and enjoy the life He gives me. But when I'm gone, I believe Cornerstone will go on. That's my desire and hope. Is that when I'm done and gone, Cornerstone goes on without me. And on and on until Jesus comes back. And it continues to bring people to save new faith in Jesus Christ. That's my whole desire for this church. And what the church building looks like doesn't really matter a whole lot to me. What I care about is that we as a church help people come to know Jesus. And I think a lot of the people in this church 
believe in that too. Then point number three on your outline, James said, seek wisdom from heaven. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. The wisdom James has been talking about is stated right here in verse 17. The problem with our world today is people need Jesus Christ. That's the whole problem with our country today, is our country has made a massive shift away from God and Jesus Christ. And now we see more and more of our, of our nation is in trouble. Why? Because people are not listening to God, getting wisdom from God, learning from God, learning humility and wisdom and guidance. So our people need a relationship with God. Look again what God gives someone who has a relationship with him through Jesus Christ from verse 17. Wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, wisdom that is pure in every aspect is a blessing. The wisdom God gives us is a blessing. It brings peace. It's peace-loving. It, it helps us to cons be considerate of others, to consider other people. It brings mercy, not only for us, but through us to others. It produces good fruit, which is a life of joy and sincerity. Another great gift. All these come to us when we submit ourselves to God. When we truly give our lives to God, we are submitting ourselves to Him. It's like we're kneeling down before Him and saying, I'm totally yours. Whatever you want, I'm going to give it. That's the challenge all of us have. That's the challenge that Ann and I had years ago, our kids had years ago, and we have to step up and answer that challenge. People can only get this wisdom from where? Heaven. Now, heaven is a place, right? Yeah, heaven is a place. God is not heaven. Heaven is a place, and heaven is where God dwells. So that's where we want to get our wisdom from heaven, from God. Our world will be much better off if more people had this kind of wisdom, the wisdom from God. Our nation would be so much better off if our leadership for the last 245 years or whatever had always had, all of our leaders had always had wisdom from God. Unfortunately, we haven't had that. In Psalm 111, verse 10, David wrote this. He was a man who loved God. He was the leader of his nation, and he, and he sought wisdom from God. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Precepts means his rules, his principles, his guidance. Think of how much better off the world could be, how life could be, if all of us had this kind of wisdom to some measure and were growing in it. There would be no more arguing. Can you imagine that? The Irish would not be arguing anymore. We love to argue, though. That's kind of one of the things we enjoy in love. There'd be no more war. Can you imagine a world without war? Or bitterness, no personal bitterness, no more strife in families, no more anger at each other. But then that's what heaven's for, you see. That's what heaven's for. When we get to heaven, we're not going to have any of that stuff, and that's what heaven's for. This world is always going to have war. This world is always going to have bitterness. It's always going to have selfishness. It's always going to have greed. And there we will have wisdom forever. Revelation 21, verse 4, listen to it. It says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. If your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you're, if you're on the roll, go into heaven, He will wipe every tear from your eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's what heaven's for. We're not going to get that totally here, but we need to work on it. And we can do better than we're doing, I think. 
Well, then at the end of chapter 3, point number 4, James said this. He said, the wise will reap a harvest of righteousness. He said, the wise will reap a harvest of righteousness. Reap is to, is to gather in the harvest. That's what it means. You go cut, you cut wheat, you cut corn, whatever. You bale hay. That's reaping the harvest. Righteousness, we'll talk about that. Verse 18. <clears throat> Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. James said the person who gets their wisdom from God will reap a harvest of righteousness. Once again, James says our faith must affect the way we live. Faith must affect us. It must change the way we live because it must change our thinking. If we change our, if our, if our thinking is stuck, if we can't change ourselves, only God truly can. We can change ourselves here and there, a little bit of tweaks here and there, but God makes massive changes to us. And if He changes uh, us inside, why, it'll change the way we live, the way we think, and the way we react to others. Faith must have an effect on the faithful. For faith to be alive, it must produce something, something good, something beneficial, not only to ourselves, but those around us. What kind of harvest is a harvest of righteousness? What is that? It's the benefit of, good, of godliness. That's all it is. It's the benefits of being godly, of following God's example. It results in peace. Righteousness means we will be at peace with ourselves, with each other, with the world around us. It's also the making of disciples, too, by the way. We can't really know full heart righteousness unless we're making disciples, meaning we help others come to faith in Christ. It's the growth and spread of the church. Why did we decide that God wanted us to move over there on the on O'Connell Road? Why was that? Because God called us to be an East Lawrence church, not a, not a downtown church, not a on top of the hill uh, university church, not a west side church, but to be an east side church. That was a, another big key in our decision was that God had called us to be an East Lawrence church, and that's what we are. You know, we're only here for a time, right? We're only here for a time, and we don't know how long we're going to get. Why waste your life? Why waste your life on the worst part? Of your nature. Why would you do that? We all have. Why would you do that when you can let, be led by God to produce good things and personally know righteousness? Why waste your life on something that's very negative and something that's very wrong when you could produce something really great through your relationship with God? I don't know if you've ever heard of Jordan Peterson, but he's a, a psychologist. He's becoming very famous in America. He's a, a Canadian psychologist. And he talks a lot about making good decisions. And choices, and I share some of his talks on Facebook. So go to my Facebook page. If you don't have me as a friend, that's okay. You'll still read them. But I'd love to have you as a friend because then I can send you stuff about the church. But um, he talks a lot about Facebook on Facebook about making good decisions and wise choices. And one dude who asked this question in one of his talks, he's in a classroom with a college classroom. It's not a seminar. It's not anything. He's in college class. He's teaching. How much could we benefit if we decide to trust each other? Have you ever thought about that? How much could we personally benefit if we decide to trust each other, to seek the best from each other? He thinks we can make the world a better, much better place than it is, and I agree with him. I think he's right. Now, Jordan Peterson's question comes from this, comes at this question with a secular worldview. Now, Jordan Peterson believes in God. He does. But he's also... A psychologist, so he's approaching this not from a spiritual sense, but from a, a secular worldly view. 
because he believes, <clears throat> and I believe this too because the Bible teaches that he believes we're all responsible for our own actions. He's not the type of psychologist that says, well, you know, you, your mom and daddy didn't treat you right. He doesn't believe in that. He believes that we're all responsible for our own, own actions. God will hold us responsible for our actions, for the decisions we make and the choices that we choose. The Bible says we, he'll do that. And Jordan Peterson is simply laying this out so that unbelievers can see it and hear it. And I like that. The Bible encourages us to seek the good no matter what. What it says is, it, When it says that, though, it says also that we'll be rewarded if we'll do that. If we will seek the good as God's people, we'll be rewarded for that. In Galatians 6, verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, church, we can't give up. No matter what's going on in the culture, no matter how much the culture hates us or turns against us, we can't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul says there in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, that we have to start with each other, then we have to branch out and treat others the same way we treat each other. So we have to treat each other well, really, really well, and then we branch out and we begin to treat unbelievers well. That's part of the growth process. That's a lot to think about, isn't it? It's a lot to process. If what I've been talking about this morning sounds good to you, and I hope it does, it's possible for you to have it as well. It's not just something I have. It's not just something I'm working on or growing in. You can have it too. God will give you wisdom if you simply ask Him for it. God will also give you peace and hope and a whole new life to live if you ask Him for all those things as well. But you've got to ask Him for it. He's not going to give you these things just because you think they're good or you think you should have them. He, you, he, you have to ask Him. You can have peace in your life. No matter what you've gone through, you can have peace in your life. You can have peace you won't find anywhere else but from God. You can have that abundant life that Jesus said He'll give us just by putting your life in God's hands. That's the key. That's the, that's the hump to get over, too, for a lot of people. How do you do that? How do you put your life in God's hands? Well, you ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. That's how you do it. Let me help you. Romans 10, verse 8 and 9 says this, The Word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith we are proclaiming to you. That you confess with your mouth, Jesus Lord, believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then listen to Romans 10, verse 13, because it's a great promise. It says this, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you truly call upon Jesus Christ, He'll be your Savior and Lord. He wants to be. How do you do that? How do you do that? by simply praying and talking to God and talking to Christ. So let's do that right now. Maybe today all of you are believers. Maybe all of you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, to make Him your Lord and Savior. But maybe you know somebody in your life, a friend, family member, or neighbor, or whoever, who doesn't know Jesus, but they need Him. As I pray this prayer with those online, would you please just pray for those folks? Ask God to send His Spirit to convict them and to lead them. Here's how you do this. Here's how you ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. It's very simple. Just bow with me right now and pray this prayer after me. Dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge to you that I need the forgiveness only Jesus Christ can give. So dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and life. Be my Savior and Lord today and every day for forevermore. Amen. If you prayed that, I hope you'll call me at 785-843-0442. I'd love to talk to you about more, what you need to do next, how to grow in your faith.
hope you'll leave a comment on on the on in the comment box too if you'd like or just personal uh, direct message me as well you can do that too i'd love to talk to you more about faith in christ please don't stop here now okay let's all stand as anna leads us in a song invitation maybe today you need to make a decision for christ rededicate your life join the church family